I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So Join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. LTD, Lincoln Town Car. Some of that Eldorado funk. Some of that gangsta shit. No layback. Who lot? Yeah. Evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Jude Seymour. I'm the writer and editor at One Foot Down. Um, with me tonight is Brad Wechter, a fellow editor. Hello, Brad. How's it going? We got the duet going tonight, two guys. Just flying uh, without without the fearless leader tonight, Josh. So he's uh, on assignment, and by on assignment, I mean at work. So uh, we're just going to get started here with a couple of topics that we thought were uh, worthy of discussion. Um, first and foremost, we have two uh, big commitments for Notre Dame uh, later this week. The first is Chris Tyree. He's a four-star running back. He is going to announce his commitment at three o'clock tomorrow, which is Thursday, uh, at, uh, on CBS Sports HQ, which I believe is a streaming service that you can get uh, maybe through the internet. Um, he is down to Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Alabama. And he's supposed to take an official visit to Notre Dame June 21st to 23rd, which I imagine he will not take if he commits to Oklahoma or Alabama tomorrow. Um, Why is this important? Uh, Tyree runs a 4.38 40-yard dash. He is considered the number one overall running back in both rivals and 24-7 sports. And the number 51 overall in 24-7 sports and number 60 overall in rivals. Um, If you listen to the Irish Illustrated podcast, You've heard that uh, that the belief is that Tyree will commit tomorrow to the Irish and that the Irish will only take one running back in its entire 2020 class. 
So before we get to Braden McGregor, I just want to talk to Brad a little bit about Tyree um, or more the, more the idea of just taking one running back in a class. What do you feel? I, that makes me a little uneasy, Brad. How does that make you feel? It does. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to only take one, this would be the one. But I think a lot of times what we get a little uneasy about some of the offensive skill talent that we've seen and the turnover we've seen with Notre Dame and potentially, you know, depth is is always the issue when we're talking about Notre Dame going up against the elite programs like Clemson and Alabama or Oklahoma, who is uh, in this kid's top three. It's just that's that's the concern is uh, how, how many of these kids are going to turn out and actually contribute to the team. And if you're only taking one, what are you doing with your depth? And I think we saw that with some poor defensive recruiting during Brian Van Gorder's days and how that hurt the defensive depth just as recently as last year. So that's that's where the concern comes from. And I definitely get it. Yeah, I just uh, if for some reason Notre Dame is not a great fit for him when he comes and he's on campus and and he's he's starting to struggle like uh, maybe uh, Noah Boykin felt um, before he left or Luke Jones and his homesickness. Uh, for some reason, if he if he was dissatisfied and were to leave, it would leave quite a hole in in that in that class. Um, I agree with your central premise, though, that if you're going to take one guy, it better be the the number one all purpose back. So um, I'm pretty excited about the possibility of him committing. It seems like a done deal, uh, sort of one of those worst kept secret sort of deals. Um, but I guess we'll know for tomorrow at three o'clock uh, or Thursday if you're listening to this at a different date. Uh, Braden McGregor is the other one. He's going to commit at 7 p.m. Friday. He's doing it in his high school auditorium. I don't believe there's any kind of live stream. Uh, he's a four-star defensive end, uh, 24-7. Actually, 24-7 sports and rivals are um, pretty split on this guy. Uh, rivals actually has him as, as a three-star, I believe. 24-7 sports believes he's the number four strong side defensive end, number 27 overall. And Rivals has him as number 27, but in his position group, number 27 strong side defensive end. So um, so there isn't a consensus of opinion yet about Braden McGregor. Um, he is considering between uh, among Notre Dame, Michigan, and Florida. He had an official visit to Florida over the last week. And according to reporting by Cardo, Carter Corrells of uh, NDInsider.com yesterday, he's had little to no contact with Notre Dame this week. That doesn't sound very good, does it, Brad? Does not know. <laughs> Plus, you know, your two Midwestern schools going up against Florida. I don't know. Yeah, the the Irish Illustrated guys say this is a coin flip between Notre Dame and Michigan. Um, some people really? like uh, Notre Dame slightly more. Uh, I would say little to no contact with Notre Dame this week. Either he's playing some sort of weird. Uh, he's afraid to let the secret out, or I'm not sure what the deal is. Um, apparently during his April, uh, official visit, he almost committed to Notre Dame, but then also apparently he also almost committed to two other schools during his official, official visit. So maybe he's a guy that just gets excited easily. Um, just as a reminder, uh, Notre Dame already holds commitments, uh, from four other defensive linemen, uh, Alexander Ehrensberger, uh, from Germany, Aiden, oh God, Aiden Kiane, oh, sorry, Aiden. Um, so Aiden from Hawaii and uh, Jordan Batello and Riley Mills. Um, Batello and R Mills just committed, I would say, probably within the last two or three weeks here. So that's your wrap-up about um, recruiting. Brad, anything else that I missed that we, you think we should add? Well, I think we're really getting the depth there at the end. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and again, it, it should... 
they should be looking at Notre Dame now and seeing all of our defensive ends and, and being either talked about as going in the NFL draft this year or next year um, and years beyond and, and get excited and say, this is a place where I can really grow and foster and become uh, an elite talent. So I hope McGregor picks Notre Dame. If he doesn't pick Notre Dame, I hope he does not pick Michigan because, you know, I just don't want to listen to that crap. So yep. that's the story there. Um, moving along, let's talk a little bit about schedule. Um, Josh and I talked about this last time on the podcast. I'd love to get your thoughts. How often should we play Michigan? You know, I keep flip-flopping on this one. It's To me, it was always just the seminal rivalry. Like, this is the one team we hate. Just really hate. Like, you can say what you want about USC, but... Michigan, there's there's something else there. There's been drama recently with the scheduling and the canceling and and, and juggling this. But I, I I mean for me it's it's a seminal early season matchup between two, you know, traditional Midwestern powerhouses with all kinds of bad blood. I would love to see it every year. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um. So I I uh, in the OFD poll that was posted by Josh or, uh, last week, I I picked two times a uh, a, a decade. And I, I like the idea of playing Michigan. Um, I, I think it's a, a fun matchup, and Michigan is usually very good. Um, it's, you know, Michigan fans like to talk a lot of um, guff on, online, and uh, I think Notre Dame fans like to give it back to them. So there's some, there's some fun kind of war worlds, and then obviously the geographic proximity. Um, I just, with our schedule being committed to five ACC teams, um, Stanford, USC, and Navy. There really isn't, in my view, an opportunity to add another person, another team that's locked in. So hmm. um, I picked twice a decade because I'd actually like to see that spot rotate between Michigan, Michigan State, and Purdue. So I thought maybe I mean, that's, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I'm an idealist. If I you could, them all. <laughs> fine, great, perfect. <laughs> um, obviously, I'd love to throw uh, Ohio State in there too. Um, I'm not looking to play them every year. Uh, that's, you know, the schedule is hard, hard as it is, you know, sometimes when you get Clemson or Florida States on, on the ascent, you know, obviously recently that hasn't been the case, but um, so that's how I, that's how I feel about it. Um, too rich for my blood, but there was a point, uh, I think the number one option actually was play them every year. So um, there's definitely the fandom or, or at least the OFD readership that, that likes the idea of playing Michigan every year. Uh, Michigan is on our schedule this year for October 26th. It's probably one of the three uh, games that's circled in pen or red pen is the kind of must-see games. Uh, Vegas has set the over-under for the schedule at nine and a half wins. Brad, I realize this is May 22nd, and we have not uh, looked into the other teams and what they've lost and what they're bringing back. Um, but as you just kind of eyeball the schedule, how, where do you feel? where do you shake out on the over-under of nine and a half wins? I would go under, but just under. I'm thinking nine. Nine is a good year for me looking at the schedule. The, I mean, the the tough games are, for the most part, on the road. I think it's really hard to win on the road. I think it's going to be really hard to win at Georgia and at Michigan and um, at Stanford. I just I think nine's what we're looking at. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's completely fair. Right now, I, I feel like I'm at nine as well. Um, I, I hate to admit that that I kind of pencil in Michigan as a loss. Um, George is the one that seems like the clear loss to me. 
Um, I believe it was Dog Nation that had a post earlier this week that said basically this game wasn't going to be any close and Georgia was going to win something like 44 to 13. I did see uh, that, yeah. I mean, I, Georgia brings back a lot of talent, so I'm, I'm not putting anything past Georgia. Uh, I don't think Notre Dame is a team that gets looked past, though. Um, so I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, Michigan lost a lot. They lost a lot of uh, talent, obviously, Chase Winovich and Rashawn Gary being at the top, top of that list, and then Devin Bush. Um, but they've, they've got a lot of people who are good and are going to continue to return this year. LaVert Hill, uh, Shea Patterson, um, Kaleke Hudson amongst, amongst the group. So, um, that one's going to be tough. It's in Ann Arbor. It's going to be, who knows? I mean, could that be an eight o'clock game? Uh, you know, quite possibly there was a, some talk online about CBS sports, some, uh, in some way exercising an option that allowed them to, to show the Notre Dame Georgia game at 8 PM. Mm. Uh, I thought for a long time that that was going to be a three 30. So right now yeah. that's just a rumor. That's not anything that's um, set in stone. Um, so the number of eight o'clock games piling up, even though they're not, there's not a lot of, there's only one night game on the, the home schedule um, could be, could be problematic as you get later in the year. And then um, Stanford obviously finished the year there. Um, we have not been able to beat Stanford. <laughs> Uh, in and at Palo in Palo Alto for for quite a while, um, so I I just the ending the year there has been has been really uh, has been really tough and uh, hasn't hasn't Notre Dame hasn't fared very well there. So um, just looking to uh, to do a little bit better um, than they've than they've done uh, recently. It's been sort of a little bit of a house of horrors. Uh, 2017 was kind of the Unraveling before the Citrus Bowl, 2015 was uh, Kaiser sh- scoring with about 35 seconds left, and then Brian Van Gorder's defense being unable to hold, and the uh, and Stanford kicking a field goal to win. Uh, 2013 was Tommy Reese. I, I don't know. I think it's. I think we said enough there. So <laughs> I, I can't. Maybe 2007 was the last time uh, with the uh, um, David Grimes and the catch that wasn't a catch, maybe be the last time that uh, Notre Dame beat Stanford out in Palo Alto. So um, I, I think those are the those are the three games. Um, you're absolutely right. And then um, other games to watch. I think Virginia is going to be good this year. I think uh, I think that might be a one that's that's um, that might be that might cause some trouble. Um, not as worried about Duke playing in Duke. Um, I don't think that that's going to be as much trouble. And I'm not worried about New Mexico State or Bowling Green or anything like that. Uh, I think Louisville is going to be uh, psyched. They're going to be uh, the crowd's going to be pretty raucous for that um, Labor Day Monday, possibly night game. New era, uh, new coach, new kind of scheme. Brian Van Gorder and Bobby Petrino are gone, um, but I also don't think that they have enough talent to line up with with Notre Dame. But you know, it's the first game of the year, so really anything can happen there. So. Brad, I think your analysis of those three games is is exactly where I where I kind of land on that. So, so do you feel like nine wins and maybe say competitive in the losses is a good season for this team? Like as painful as it would be. I mean, I think that I think that I think uh, Notre Dame fans would be a little disappointed, right? Because after a, a, a playoff year and to not be able to beat, assumedly the ranked teams on the road and continue to have that problem, um, so. You know, there's. I, I've kind of gotten over the idea of a good loss. I, you know, I was a. I'm a believer in 2015. I spent a lot of energy and time on the internet 
talking about how close that monsoon game was with Clemson and how Notre Dame should be considered for the playoff despite that loss. And I probably, you know, to a lesser extent talked about it in 2017 with Georgia and, oh, it's just a one-point game and, you know, there wasn't this play or that play, who knows, and stuff like that. But the playoff committee doesn't seem to value good losses. They don't seem to really um, put a lot of stake in that. So I, I think if you're if you're serious about the playoffs, you've got to beat um, you've got to beat uh, Georgia and Michigan. And if you have a if you have a loss, it's got to be a dumb loss early in the season. To and then again, not to pick on Virginia, but you lose to Virginia. Uh, you go 11 and one. I think that, that there's a playoff opportunity there, just depending on how everything else shakes out down the line. But um, I just, w- without beating Georgia and 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 uh, Michigan, I don't think that there's really, uh, really an opportunity for the playoffs. So then you start looking at uh, lesser goals, right? And and one of the ones that I'd like to scratch off the list is to get into uh, a major New Year's Six Bowl and, and win that. It's It's been since uh, the Cotton Bowl in 1994 that Notre Dame's accomplished that. So um, if this is the year to go 9-3 and three and sneak into the, I'm just going to pick on one, Fiesta Bowl um, and beat a team, I, I hope, you know, that's the consolation that, you know, you finish the season 10-3, and three, but with a win in a major bowl. Maybe for a change, don't draw the best team not in the playoff and maybe a team that should be in the yeah, playoff. Yeah, I mean, just hate to play Ohio State in that slot, right? Because yeah. that seems what it always kind of shakes out. So yeah. um, one last topic when we're talking about schedule, other dream matchups. Um, Josh and has his little 30-minute solo podcast, I know mentioned Tennessee as a team he'd like to see back on the schedule. Um, maybe you've been asked this before, but if, if you have, I've forgotten, Brad, is there a team that you'd like to see um, put on the Notre Dame schedule in the, in the near future. Just because these two schools have never played each other in football. I want to see Auburn on the schedule. Oh my God. You just picked my, yes. Auburn is my, <laughs> so we're, we're in agreement then. Yeah. 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 Uh, a game at Jordan Hare and a game at uh, Notre Dame stadium, I think would be great. So that would be great. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, the next time I want to talk about is um, Josh and a, a post that Brian Kelly had gone on the Jim Rome show um the the topic kind of got around to this uh obliquely got around to the second year curse of quarterbacks under uh brian kelly uh at least at notre dame and i just wanted to see if you had you felt like you there was any there was a there was truth in this or this was just a a coincidence that quarterbacks in their second year seemed to regress at least statistically under brian kelly i mean when there's smoke, there's fire. I, I don't know that it's Brian Kelly specifically because I don't know what the staffs have looked like or what other, you know, circumstances are surrounding the situations for each of the different quarterbacks. But I, I don't think you can deny the fact that generally speaking and statistically speaking, quarterbacks regress in their second year under Brian Kelly. I don't know what, what the reason is. Like, you know, my gut says, well, there's a lot of pressure. And I mean, you heard it a lot from most recently to Sean Kaiser when prior to the season he was talking about just like owning the team and making it his and, and all these expectations he had. And then I think, you know, if, if teams don't live up to expectations and it falls down to a quarterback who feels like it's his responsibility that plays on your psyche a little bit. And I, I don't know if, if that's what happened to Kaiser specifically or any of the other quarterbacks, but I mean, that's, that's kind of how I would see it as an outsider. And I don't know if there's something 
formulaic that can be changed on Brian Kelly's end or on the staff's end that can fix that mentality. Um, I, I'd love to see that with Ian Book. I know Brian Kelly's already said he expects Ian Book to be better this year. And right away, that's you're putting pressure on your quarterback. And I mean, you should expect a second year quarterback to be better. But also, Brian Kelly's done a really good job of looking inward and making changes on his program that have produced better results. I wonder if this is another area we, where he could do that. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it cuts both ways. If you uh, there's certainly an argument on the statistics side that is strong. I think if you want to be a Brian Kelly apologist, and I, I'm accused myself of that a, a lot, um, it, you can kind of explain away some things. You know, Golson, uh, 2012, but then he missed 2013, so he came back in 2014. So there was that year gap, and maybe that had something to do with it. And you know, as the Irish Illustrated guys like to to remind us, Deshaun Kaiser put on a lot of weird bad weight uh, in t- before the 2016 season, so. Uh, you know, and obviously that team was going off the rails defensively, which, which, as you mentioned, put a lot of pressure on the, on the quarterback. So maybe that was, you know, for his regression, um, Brandon Wimbush, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, right. And so the one thing that I would say is that the numbers of Ian book were much different post Northwestern injury than they were pre Northwestern injury. And I think that's a confluence of two things. One is the. Um, not being used to playing with an injury, especially a rib injury, um, and sort of understanding how that how that process works and, and adjusting for that. Uh, two, that obviously the competition got a lot better after that. Uh, Clemson certainly didn't help um, matters at all, but um, he, he just, I think a team's got tape on him. You know, I think that he he benefited the same way Deshaun Kaiser benefited in two, 2015 was. A lot of people didn't really know what they were getting into. There wasn't a lot um, of plays that Ian Book had really, uh, really run. Uh, so there wasn't, and he was more of a, a guy that you stuck in when the outcome was never in doubt or for a specific package of plays. So you didn't really understand what he could do. Um, and so obviously didn't play till the fourth game, uh, significant time until the fourth game of the season last year. So once teams got more tape on them, they kind of understood tendencies a little bit better. And maybe I think that would had something to do with the kind of the regression, but I'm hoping that this is a level reset. Um, and that, you know, there's talk about the offense averaging 40 points a year. I don't believe that they've done that. They, maybe not in the modern era, maybe they've done it in the past, like in the way, way past, but um, that's kind of been the unattainable mark, but that's the talk this year. I mean, they certainly have a lot of weapons, don't they? They do. Yeah. Yeah. So, to be determined on that one, I suppose. Um, next is I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the map that you created, and I want you to you talk about it a little bit because I think it's really interesting. Um, one of Josh's um, things that he likes to think about is where all the Irish come from. Um, we've talked a lot about you know where the Irish have recruited uh, in past years, but it's also as interesting to see the makeups of the team. So. Um, you've tracked every uh, person who committed to a Brian Kelly team at Notre yep. Dame, and you put them on a map. And I just was wondering if, uh, in doing that, you had any um, surprises or takeaways that you wanted to share with us. Well, first off, I think the map is really cool. I'm I'm a little biased, but I, I really enjoy just you know it, the the creativity that it takes as the end user of the map that I've created to like kind of 
click around. You can you can go in and see what you want to find out on your own, or you can go in and look for something specific. And there's enough little um, filters in the dashboard that you can usually get to what you're trying to get to. And I think that's really cool. Um, I haven't spent enough time doing that. I've spent all the time on the back end actually creating the thing. Um, so you know, my takeaway is like that that took a long time and it was it was some hard work, but. Um, it, it just for me, like clicking through the different years and, and remembering the kids that aren't there anymore, seeing where they came from, seeing where different, uh, where the, when, how the focus shifted when the staff changed. So if you click on like pre uh, Van Gorder and look at the defensive recruits, you might be surprised to see some people or surprised not to see some people, well, not surprised to not see some uh, certain positions being recruited versus post. And you see the recruiting pickup on the defense. And then you can go and look at those years and see, you know, two to three years down the line they they really had something on defense once Elko and Lee took over. Uh, that's like one really cool thing that you can do. Uh, on the other hand, you know, it's, um, it, it's also beneficial to zoom out of the map and look around because we've even got uh, the kid from Germany on there now. So if you zoom out and it's, it's really kind of jarring to see a, a recruit, they came from Germany and, and a couple from Hawaii. And remember that it's not just limited to North America. I think that's another cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah it was very cool. And, and I think that, you know, a lot has been discussed about the fact that there was a uh, extreme Florida interest in the yes. first, um, probably would say probably six or seven years. And now that that's really the focus has shifted uh, more towards Georgia and uh, a little bit on Louisiana, which I think is interesting. Um, and you look at you look at that Florida team, and it's just it's it's a who's who of oh it, if they had just if they had just lived up to their hype that Notre Dame had some amazing guys, uh, you know Kevin Stefferson comes immediately to mind, but also Greg Bryant, you know, yeah, uh, guys that uh, really um, really um, kind of had derailed uh, careers here. So uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to go to onefootdown.com and um, check out that map. Uh, we've updated it for 2019 to include uh, all of the the most recent commits, as as Brad alluded to, uh, with our Germany commit, and uh, we will continue to periodically update that so um, that you can continue to to play around with it. And if you find something interesting, uh, leave it in the comments either of of this post for the podcast or uh, the post on the page, and and let us know uh, what you found interesting because we're always looking for interesting patterns. Yeah, and if anybody's really bored, you should go out and look at like the overall trend of players coming from Florida at that time, where they were going and how they panned out. I would do it. Actually, I might do it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, I, look, I look forward to that. And, and if I can be helpful, then we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do um, it. Last Saturday was graduation at Notre Dame. I think 2,055 uh, individuals got their Notre Dame degree last Saturday. Um, unfortunately, they had to do it inside because of the weather. Uh, one of those individuals was Jalen Smith. Uh, obviously, everyone who has watched Notre Dame football in the last five years remembers Jalen Smith. Um, he is now a, a linebacker for the Cowboys. I believe he was the team's second leading tackler last year. Just doing this from memory, so if I'm wrong, uh, Clearwell will probably uh, tell me in the comments. But um, <laughs> anyways, uh, he's had a fantastic uh, pro, pro career uh, post-injury so far. Uh, in the limited time we've gotten to see him, and uh, he had he had uh, made a promise to his coaches and to I believe his mother that he would come back and get his degree, um, and he's he did that remarkably by taking 21 credit hours in the last uh, semester to finish that off, which I think I 
you know, Brad, I went there for four years. I'm not even sure I ever took 21 credit hours. That's a, that's a, that's quite a course load. So yeah, I've taken exactly 15. So <laughs> perfect. Um, I believe he is now the fifth out of 17 people that have left for the NFL early and have not finished their, um, their college to actually come back and, and, and actually close that off. So um, I know that Stefan Tuitt and Troy Nicholas are, are currently working on it, as is Josh Adams. Um, I believe Adams may be the closest, although Nicholas was on campus because he's injured and he doesn't have an NFL team right now. So um, the one thing that helped Jalen Smith was he had gotten a lot of his major uh, credits out of the way, the credits towards his, his major. And those are the ones that you have to take on campus. There's a residency requirement, I, I guess. And, and that's not what Troy had done. So that's why Troy had to come back and uh, actually hang out in Indiana. But um, a couple of cool takeaways. Obviously, love the fact that guys are coming back for their degree. Um, I also love the fact that Brian Kelly and the entire football staff is saying the Goog is yours to use for workouts. Um, you know, please, you know, find a time that works for you. Um, they had, you know, the, the the scholarships were already paid for. So uh, whatever the NFLPA didn't pick up, Notre Dame picked up the rest. So. You know, you might say, well, the guy's got millions of dollars. Why can't he pay for his own schooling? Like, I just think this is good. I think it's good karma. It's good PR. I, I love the whole thing. Brad, any um, any other thoughts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, that, it, it's just, it's remarkable to me, not just for, specifically with Jalen, but with all of these other guys, like the drive that it takes to come back and do this. I mean, Jalen had to come back from the injury um, and and he's playing better than a lot of people thought he would. And I think he still hasn't reached his professional ceiling yet. I still think he could be a star, but he also has the drive to maintain that whole NFL lifestyle in terms of work, working out and staying at your best, not NFL lifestyle in terms of partying, but, and come back and like you said, take 21 credit hours in a semester. That's ridiculous. That the amount of drive that takes, like I can't even imagine being motivated enough to do that, let alone also being an NFL player. That's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I started looking through the list of guys who who left without getting their uh, degree, and I guess Jerome Bettis is sort of at the top of that list. And it's like, you know what? I really don't think it makes any sense for Jerome Bettis to come back and get his degree at this point. I think he's pretty well set in his life, and he's you know right. he's made oodles of millions of dollars, and and obviously he's in his retirement, he's he's doing well for himself. Um, but I still think it's interesting that Jerome Bettis has said. You know, it embarrasses me a little bit that I wasn't, uh, that I didn't get my degree and that I'm not that uh, example for my children when I try to impress upon them the importance of getting a college degree. So I I, I love the idea that, that Jalen Smith knows that, that his NFL career could be taken away from him at a moment's notice and that he's, he's setting himself up nicely with a plan B. And, and to Deshaun Kaiser and Julian Love and Josh Adams and all the guys who've come out recently – um, I, I really hope that they, they recommit themselves to, um, to doing it. I, I, you know, for golden Tate, I, I think, I think he'll be just fine. You know, yeah, yeah. I think he can live without another Dave degree. So, and uh, Kyle Rudolph, who just got a, is going to get a huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you great point, Brad. I mean, they're talking about a five-year contract extension for Kyle Rudolph with the Vikings. So if he gets that, then he probably is not sweating, uh, uh, missing out on that Notre Dame degree. So, um, so that's great. Uh, I want to talk to you about something that I think irked a lot of people. Uh, we didn't write about it for one foot down, but 
Um, it was a 24 seven sports article that came out about a week ago, ranking the top coaches in all of college. And I just want to go down the list. Um, and I, you know, feel free to stop me where you think it gets weird. Um, but I think the first couple you're not going to really have much issue with. Number one, obviously, is Nick Saban of Alabama. Number two is Davos Swinney of uh, Clemson. Um, number three is Lincoln Riley of Oklahoma, which, uh, you know, he's only had two years, but, you know, two playoff appearances. So, right, so that you really can't uh, take that away from him. Uh, number four is, uh, Florida, uh, well, I almost said Florida State's Jimbo Fisher, but Texas A&M's Jimbo Fisher. Uh, five is Chris Peterson of, of Washington. Uh, six is Mike Leach of Washington State. Seven is Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern. This is where it gets weird for me. This, yeah, this is the do more with less category. Is this that is, what yeah, I, I mean, the one takeaway of this writer, and I believe it was Brad Crawford from 24-7 Sports, was he likes guys that do a lot with not a lot of talent. You know, Northwestern is not a the school that a lot of Big Ten, uh, uh, you know, people who are looking at the Big Ten aspire to to be at, right? But that I makes think, them the best. Yeah, yeah. So if if he's able to uh, produce a uh, you know nine and three, or I guess it would be nine and four, or eight and five, or the occasional ten and three season with Northwestern, then he's overachieving uh, in terms of what Brad Crawford thinks Northwestern should be able to achieve with the talent that he's been given. Right. So. Um, number eight is Gary Patterson of TCU. Number nine is Matt Campbell of Iowa State. Now I'm I got killed in the um, in the comment section. I wrote an article I believe in January that said basically Brian Kelly wasn't retiring and he wasn't leaving for another job. But, but let's go through the mental exercise. What what would it look like? You know who would be on the short list? And I didn't like Matt Campbell. I looked at his uh, record. The fact that he's never beaten Iowa, the fact that he lost to an FCS team, um, he is five and five against top twenty-five teams, which um, Iowa State has never beaten five team, uh, five top twenty-five teams in two years. So that's an, a major accomplishment. And I think the main the main argument for uh, for Matt Campbell is, look, he's 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 taken a Big Twelve team that was a complete afterthought in the Big Twelve, and he's turned them into. And just above 500 team, you know what I mean? In, in two seasons or whatever. So, right. and is I, that, is I that where know. the hype is coming from? Because Matt Campbell's name came up for the Browns opening too. And I was like, why, why are the Browns talking about Iowa state's coach before they yeah. hired Freddie kitchens? Like, and then same thing for, for what you're talking about. If Brian Kelly leaves, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it. What do these people know that I don't, you know, it's, I think it's just, you, you fall in love with a flavor and then all of a sudden, you just can't get yourself off of that. I mean, I, I was thinking about the the names that were tossed out when um, when I'd done the exercise the year prior, or when Kelly went through the four and eight season in 2016. And some of those names are were like, I mean, some people were honest to God saying Bobby Petrino. Some of them were honest to God saying Gene Chizik. You know what I mean? Like just names that like given a couple more mark d'antonio and and he's on this list at at number uh 14 and you know mark d'antonio yes he had the the playoff ap appearance but he also had a three and nine season on on his resume recently and and he sort of is like brian kelly's yang to brian kelly's ying they're kind of he's on the dis he's on the downslide like he peaked in 2015 and now he's like 
And he had two, like three great seasons. I think 2013, 2014, and 2015 were just, I think it was 36 and five maybe for Michigan state in those three seasons. So they were outstanding. And now it's just been, um, you know, wet fart after wet fart in terms of the seasons they've been putting together here. So um, I just, I, I don't love Matt Campbell. I, I'm willing, I'm totally willing to eat crow if he has a 10 and three season with Iowa state next year and beats Iowa and maybe pulls off a upset at Texas or somebody, I don't even know if Texas is on their schedule, but I'm just assuming with the big 12 and all. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, and willing to see what other people are seeing. But right now I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. So, um, and I think, I think number nine is way too high on this list. So uh, continuing on, and you notice I've not mentioned Brian Kelly yet. Number 10 is Kirby Smart of Georgia. Uh, number 11 is James Franklin of Penn State. Another guy who's just like, what the hell has he accomplished? You know, yeah. uh, number 12, Dan Mullen of Florida. Number 13, Tom Herman of Texas. Number 14, D'Antonio, as I mentioned before. Number 15, David Shaw of Stanford. And then number 16, Brian Kelly of Notre Dame. Now, really, look, I have just, look, I... I'm, you know, I may not be the biggest Brian Kelly homer on, on the internet, but I'm probably in the top uh, 10 percentile. Um, you know, I, I don't blame anybody who wanted him gone after four and eight. I wasn't in that group. I doesn't make me a better person um, than the people who wanted him gone. I just, that's, I think I just, I, maybe it's blind stupidity or belief or naiveness, but I, I've liked Brian Kelly. I think he's, he is a top 10 coach for, for, for sure in this, list and i would definitely put him ahead of pat fitzgerald and matt campbell and james franklin and tom herman because and you know i love mike leach i mike leach is great but i just weren't you know brian kelly has a playoff appearance now i yeah brian kelly also has four and eight but um brian kelly has had a national championship appearance and a um a, a, a college football playoff appearance and a lot of other really good seasons um, sprinkled in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, I specifically don't see Tom Herman ahead of Brian Kelly. I mean, in terms of just overall career, Brian Kelly did great things at Cincinnati, just like Herman did at Houston. And Brian Kelly's done more at Notre Dame than Herman has at Texas. Uh, the sporting news, I think it was today, the sporting news came out with their prediction for the college football championship. Texas versus Clemson. And I'm like, are they trying to sell magazines? Yes, that's exactly I what they're doing. I don't see that, you know. And yeah. I don't, look, I, I was also the guy that poo-pooed Kyler Murray and Trevor Lawrence last year and said that they were, you know, how could Athlon possibly consider uh, Trevor Lawrence to be the 25th best quarterback and Kyler Murray to be the 16th or whatever he was? Uh, so look, I make a lot of bad, dumb takes, but. Uh, you know, Clemson, I get, I get Clemson, uh, Texas. I just, I mean, look, they got, they got a lot of talent returning, but I just, they do not have it all together there. So uh, yeah. beating Georgia in the sugar bowl when Georgia couldn't care less, doesn't, it doesn't impress me. So I, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't impressed. <laughs> uh, oh, one of the things that we should definitely do is take uh, a nice little break here for our sponsors. And we're going to do that right now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, so before we close out tonight, I want to talk a little bit about um, Game of Thrones. I don't actually watch Game of Thrones. Are you a Game of Thrones guy? I have some very strong opinions about Game of Thrones. Correct. Awesome. So um, my timeline on Twitter was covered for the probably the greater half of this first week here, this last this current week that we're in, uh, uh, talking about Game of Thrones ending and also the worst television endings of any program ever. So let's talk about let's. I, I'll give you the I'll give you the floor to talk Game of Thrones, and then let's talk about worst uh, television endings. All right. Well, here's my thing about Game of Thrones, my, and most people I know are sick of hearing about this because everybody's been talking about it lately. I have to remind them. Look, I tried the first episode five, six times. I just couldn't get through it. <laughs> and it, it's not that like I dislike the IP or I dislike the the period like take on it or I dislike um just the whole world or what's happening and and I think the story had a lot of uh potential but you know I what I prefer in in my entertainment my literature is, is a little like subtlety and like a little nuance and, and I don't I don't like the way that Game of Thrones hit me over the head over and over and over again like did you know that winter is coming to winterfell <laughs> And, and by the way, it's cold. It's cold. Winter fell. It's so cold. It's winter fell. And it, it, in fact, it is so cold that we name our bastard snow because winter is coming. Did you know that it's going to be cold? <laughs> and by the way, our reavers, they're called white walkers, the color of snow. And that enough for me was just like, I get it. Like, I just stop hitting me over the head. I get it. Like, I understand what life is like here now. Yes, you're very afraid of this very long winter. Thank you. And then they just kept doing it. They did it with every aspect of the show. And I'm, every time I tried it, it's just like, I can handle gore and I can handle, you know, the, these ridiculous amounts of characters all oddly uh, just intertwined and, and they can't keep all the little white kids straight and they're all related to each other. But having said, it's just, I can handle all that, but just, man, the writing was just too heavy handed. Did you get past the first episode? No, I think I, I managed to watch a little bit of the second episode on one point, but I did no, I don't remember what it was. I remember meeting like the Dothraki and and uh, what's her name, the the blonde chick, and that's yeah. I'm zero help here. I watched one episode because I, I I fell into everyone was talking about it. There was like it was a reverential tone the way that people talked about how great the episode was. There were entire podcasts delivered towards you know breaking down each episode and i sort of got into that with breaking bad where i was kind of listening to the like the meta commentary from the you know the show's producers and stuff like that so i i thought well you know what this game of thrones has uh you know a real promise here i watched the first episode i didn't i was like uh, i don't get it and they're and they still haven't said anything about dragons and i know dragons are coming and i'm not a dragon guy like i'm just yeah. I'm not, I'm not a dragon dude. So like, I know that some people were like the dragons, you know, and, and look, I'm not here to, to bash on anybody's take. Cause I watched a lot of terrible television. We could, we could talk about that for ages, but um, yeah, it just wasn't for me. And, you know, frankly, I was feeling a little good about my choice based on the last, I would say four or five weeks of people just 
complaining about how the episodes have just underwhelmed them, disappointed, not tied up loose ends and stuff like that. So um, this brings us into the greater discussion of, of worst TV endings. What show did you stick with long after you probably should have and were disappointed by the time the ending came around? I mean, this is a lot of people's answer. I think prior to either Game of Thrones or Dexter, but it, it would have to be How I Met Your Mother. I watched way too much of that for how it ended. It was just insulting. I mean, if you followed me on Twitter, I was literally like hate tweeting about How <laughs> I Met Your Mother. I just, I felt like I'd spent, and again, they were what, 22 minute episodes, but yeah. again, you start adding it all up and you think to yourself, I invested nine freaking years in this program and they're just, they're, it, they felt like they were jerking me around. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, for me, I, I wasted a summer binge watching it because I was a season behind. I could have been out having fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, th- it was it, funny to me that when people were posing this question on Twitter, that Lost and How I Met Your Mother were easily the top two uh, responses. You know, I saw a sprinkling of somebody would say MASH or something like that. There was a couple of other shows that people were kind of like, yeah, and Dexter was certainly mentioned. I got to be yeah. honest, I skipped out on Dexter about a season and a half till the end because I was just already like, this just doesn't feel like the show I fell in love with. I That first season of Dexter was just such outstanding television. I could not wait for the second season. I was just, I was, I was all the way bought in on that. Um, And then I think, did it go six seasons, five or six seasons? And somewhere, I think it was in the mid fourth, I was just like, you know what? I'm out. It's just really not doing anything for me anymore. And, and my wife stuck it out. And so I said to her, Hey, you know, like what, you know, what happened? She's like, it just was not worth it. And I was like, okay, we're here. I just I struggle to stick with shows when they when they fall off like that. I I would I mean I'm thinking of like th- these are shows that are still running, but like I watched in a single episode of the second season of True Detective, and that had all kinds of goodwill bu- built up from the first season. And after one episode, I was like, I can't deal with it. And then when there's like IP that I love, again, I'm like you, I'm not going to claim to be a fan of and an expert on what makes good television. And I will gladly admit that the CW's superhero shows are not good television, but that's like some of my favorite IP and I love it, but I dropped out of like after the third season of arrow and the second season of flash, cause it was just complete garbage. So I'm just, I, I don't have that tolerance. I, I, I salute you. Uh, I am what the economists refer to as sunk costs. Um, I, <laughs> I, I believe that, you know, if I've given four seasons to a program that, you know, I should see it to the end. I really, uh, you know, it, with the exception of a couple of shows, where I was just like, you know what, you're gonna you're gonna have to finish this one without me. I really, I really have stuck with a lot of shows way past the time I've probably gotten enjoyment out of them. Um, I recently told my wife that I had no interest in watching another episode of Arrested Development because I couldn't remember the last time I had laughed at Arrested Development, and and that's a show that the first, you know, what was it, first three season run on Fox, it was just so great. It's so, the only yeah, that's like the only show that I've ever been not able to stop watching. Like just put the next episode on up until the end of the third season. Yeah. And then they went to Netflix and then they waited five years in between episodes and they recut episodes and it just and never got it never recaptured that original spark. And I, I know it's it feels like low hanging fruit to to dump on a show that everybody's dumping on, but it just it, it was it, it just got to the point where it was I didn't feel like I felt like my time was being wasted. I was literally just watching characters act out to something that I don't think even they thought was funny. Yeah. So, 
Uh, I was kind of over it. So let's flip the coin here. Best TV endings. It shows that you felt like uh, you were satisfied with by the time it was it was all said and done. Oh, man. Have I I got to think of any shows I've even watched all the way through that aren't still running. I, I mean, did you watch Breaking Bad? Because I, I really felt like I that didn't. was very, very satisfying. Um, another one I thought of was The Wire. I think a lot of people mentioned that. Um, you know, so many people in my timeline have mentioned Justified as a show that I should have watched. Um, it's hard. You know, it's hard to revisit shows. You don't want to be. I watched Breaking Bad probably three seasons after it after it went off the air. Um, and so when I was like ready to talk about Breaking Bad, everyone was like, "Dude, where were you in 2013 when we were all doing this?" You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's it's sort of like it's sort of like telling a friend you should watch Deadwood. Like Deadwood was a great show, but like you know, I think we're all past the point where we've yeah. talked about Deadwood unless the Deadwood movie comes out. And then that, that's what I was gonna say. I'm not watching Deadwood unless I know that that movie's coming out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if the, if the movie's happening, then, then sure. But, uh, you know, and so that's, it's hard for me to, to start watching a show that I, that has ended because you, you sort of wonder where your tribe's going to be. You know what I mean? If you're yeah. just like, if you announce on Twitter, wow, I just watched this most amazing episode of, you know, uh, show X, everyone will be like, yeah, that was great when it happened in 2011, buddy, you know, like, or more, more worse would be like people just straight up ignoring you just being like, yeah. okay, well, congratulations for sinking, you know, 26 hours of your life into the show or whatever. Yeah, maybe oh, you should go listen to 24 is another show that I completely abandoned that had a great, Which like, is it? 24. First season. Oh, 24, yeah. Oh, my God. And it was like, oh, my God, look at how it's crazy 24 <laughs> hours in his life. And then it was like, and then a bomb, and then a hostage, and then a, you know, and then a nuclear football. And I was like, oh, God, I'm, I'm over it, you know? So, uh, All right, 24 hours was enough. My wife, the next 48. Grey's Anatomy, they're 15 seasons, 15 seasons deep on Grey's Anatomy. I've I never watched a out, moment of that show. I tapped out on Grey's Anatomy. Uh, the episode in which Izzy decides a deer is more important to save than the people in who are coming into the hospital with real injuries. I was like, you know what? I'm good here. I think that was the beginning of the third season. So I am uh, 12 seasons removed from my last episode of, of uh, Grace Anatomy. And I think I'm okay on that. So I believe they uh, call that jumping the shark. Yeah. Uh, you know what I've been doing at night? I've been, wa I've been watching uh, current season Simpsons. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't know why. It's not really, it's not really like it's, there's been a couple of yucks, but I don't know. I don't know who their audience is anymore. I don't even know if I'm their audience. Right. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I, yeah. I, I haven't kept, kept up with the Simpsons. I've been actually catching up on King of the Hill. I didn't realize I liked King of the Hill until like three or four weeks ago. I, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but that show is deeply relatable to somebody who grew up in a small farm town in Ohio. Oddly enough, it's based in Texas, but culturally the satire is on point. Yeah, no, I uh, I am aware of it. I I don't believe I've ever watched an episode. So I was there about a month ago, and then I started it, and I'm in season nine now. You have no one to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because I every once in a while I see a show that was on that was that was either running now or was on forever, and I go, "Who watched that show?" Like. George Lopez show was on for eight years. I don't know a single person who watched George Lopez show. Uh, I was snarky and one night said, who watches Superstore, which is, I think it's in its fifth year on NBC. I've 
literally seen commercials for it, but I've, yeah. I've never heard anyone talk about it. And about four or five people jumped in my mentions was like, yeah, no, I watch it. It's pretty funny. And it was like, <laughs> oh, okay. okay. All right. So there are people watching it or whatever. Uh, Bob's Burgers is another show that oh, like one of my friends is like a total Bob's Burgers guy. And they're probably, I feel like six or seven seasons deep on that. And I, I don't know anybody else who really watches it. No, I, yeah. Actually, you know what's really funny and actually kind of weird about this is like literally two nights ago, I was watching King of the Hill and my TV was too loud. So it was like, you know, like 8.30 or 9 and I got a text from my upstairs neighbor and I look and I see that it's him and I'm expecting like, dude, turn your, turn your TV down. But I look down and he says, what episode or what season of King of the Hill are you on? <laughs> it's like uh, um, at the end of the eighth. He's like, oh, that's awesome. I just discovered it. I'm, I'm halfway through the ninth. It's still very good. And I'm like, wow. So sometimes, sometimes there are people out there that you can talk to. Yeah. Is he the kind of guy you could bring, you could uh, have down for a beer and like watch King of the Hill together with? Oh, for sure. Yeah. He still owes me a beer because he, uh, he remodeled his entire unit when he moved in and it was really loud. And he's like, all right, I'll buy you a six pack to make up for it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that was our discussion for tonight. Um, Brad, do you have anything that you want to add that we didn't talk about that you think people should know about? Um, well, I thought it was interesting. Um, one of the first names that came up when uh, the Michigan basketball coaching position was open was Mike Braze. Oh, yes. And literally the least like that, I not even for better or for worse worried at all about that happening. I still maintain that the only place Mike Bray will coach that is not Notre Dame is Duke. Uh, when K, when Coach K retires, um, I also thought it interesting that Mike Bray commented on the transfer portal, saying that uh, a lot of coaches are worried about the amount of waivers that are being um, granted to players to be eligible immediately, which goes back to our boy Elohi Gilman and what happened there. So, um, just some interesting things to think about here for the next week. Yeah, just real quick, did that? Did they Mike Bray possibly being interested, or Michigan possibly being interested in Mike Bray? Did that go beyond a Dan Dakich kind of tweet, or was that just like I him speculating out loud? It was him just saying one name to look out for, and everybody just sort of waved him away. Literally, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you hate to think of coaches like you know they're ours and you can't ever be this and and stuff like that um i just look i don't know if mike bray's a cultural fit to, for michigan i just know mike bray's a great cultural fit for notre dame and yep. and uh you know it, it just even just watching him uh earlier this week talking about the uh the new uh this newly designed uh rolf's um you know the the new space for them or whatever uh, is it just reminds me how much that he's been kind of uh, fun to 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 have around uh, for, for a long time now. I mean, he was he was the coach my final year of college, and I've been <laughs> college for a billion years. So. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, my final plug is the I think final plug I've had probably for the last three weeks. Uh, go see the Hesburgh film. I rewatched it on Sunday. I took uh, three people with me. Of course, they loved it. Um, if you haven't gone to see Hesburgh, check out HesburghFilm.com for showtimes in your area. I believe they just added 20 new cities. There are six or seven that are coming online uh, next weekend and the weekend after that. So if it's not playing in your area, um, go to Hesburgh Film and ask for it to, to come to your area. Look, the audiences are small, but the people that are watching it are loving it and they're getting a lot out of it. And I'm, I'm here to give you my guarantee. If you go 
You're gonna love it. If you don't go, tweet at me. I'll just I'm, I'll throw you tw- ten bucks in the mail. I would just be I'd be absolutely shocked. Uh, so take a chance, spend the money, uh, and go see Hesper. All right, that's gonna do it for tonight, Brad. Thank you very much for your time, and everyone else have a great night and go Irish. Go Irish. Thank <laughs> you.